So we're going to continue this morning in this series called Because Jesus, and it's a study of the book of Hebrews. I encourage you, last time we were together, or last time I spoke to you, last time we were together was last week, which was awesome, by the way, the youth service. I don't know if you get songs stuck. I had songs stuck all week this week from the youth service, which is awesome. Uh, They just keep going in your head, you know, you keep singing songs all week. Well, so blessed. We're going to go back to the series we were starting the week before, which is a study of the book of Hebrews. And I want to remind you of a few things that we heard at the very beginning of Hebrews. And first of all, I would encourage you to read the book yourself. If you've not read scripture, read it yourself. Better. Uh, Not better, but as good as. Get into a small group Bible study and, and study the scripture together. You can join a family group to study the word. If you don't have time to get in a family group, you can download the leadership material off the website and look at the word yourself and see what it says. Get your spouse or your children or your parents together and say, let's look at this book and see what it says. It's an awesome opportunity to look at at a particular book uh, of the Bible, being the book of Hebrews. I want to remind you as we begin that last week we heard an amazing opening of this text and where the author of Hebrews puts Jesus in his right position, high above all other things. We talked about that last week. What is between us and worshiping Jesus? Like, what do we call more important than Jesus in this life? And that's always a danger we all have of worshiping something besides Jesus. And last week, the scriptures opened and it said that Jesus was identified as the heir of all things. And I know last week the youth made reference to that in the service, that everything belongs to Jesus that's a real thing, that he's the heir of everything, that he's the maker of the universe. This comes from the opening of Hebrews, that he's the radiance of God's glory, that he's the exact representation of God's being, which is an amazing truth that just is slipped in there at the beginning of Hebrews, that he sustains all things through his word. He's the provider of purification for sin. So we sang a song today about we are sinners, but he's a savior, and that's the truth of the gospel, and that he provides purification for our sins, that we learned last week that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, that he's superior to the angel, and that there's no other name. Now, don't, get, don't miss this. There's no other name on the whole earth as high or as holy as the name of Jesus. He's exceptional in, in every way. And so today, we're going to study We're going to pick up where we left off, which is, we left off at the 14th verse of the first chapter, which is the end of the chapter. We're going to start with the second chapter, the first verse of the book of Hebrews. And I'm only going to talk through it as we go here today. So if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one and flip it open. You can look at the page, uh, I think it's close to 838, chapter 2 of Hebrews might be on 838. You can check that out and see for yourself what the word says. So having all those truths been proclaimed in the first chapter of the book, about Jesus' right status, the author of Hebrews goes on to say this. He says, We must pay more attention, therefore, to what we have heard so we do not drift away. And then he goes on to say some other things. We're going to talk about that. But I want you to notice that it was an implied warning in the first chapter of the book that we can put other things as more important than Jesus. And, and the, the two examples we're given were prophets and angels, that we can believe that there's some other thing higher than Jesus. And the author of Hebrews says, no, there's no one, no one higher than Jesus. And, and now he starts the second with a, a warning or a, a heads up about a danger that we face. He says, we must pay careful attention. But I want you to need, notice the key word here, therefore. 
Now, it's funny because the NIV puts that therefore in the middle of a sentence, but in the Greek, therefore is the first thing that's said in the second chapter. Because Jesus is so high and holy, because he's the inheritor of all things, because he's the very likeness and image of God, the, the incarnation of God's being, because of all that stuff, therefore, we should pay close attention to what we've heard. That's what the author of Hebrews says. It's a warning. Pay close attention to what we've heard. We must pay careful attention. There's going to be a theme today in the text, and it's, it's like the price of faith, or more accurately, the price of salvation, that, that we need to pay attention. I've, I read that, and I think, well, what does that mean, that we're called to pay attention more closely? It's this idea that we must lean in close. I've already encouraged you to study the scriptures together. I would encourage you to pray. We sang songs about we're on our knees. We're crying out to God. Would you show us what you would have for us? Would you lead us today? Lean in close, to look closely, to study, to examine something that's worth being studied and examined, thought through. Why? And why would I say this is a warning anyway? Pay more careful attention means to Look more closely, but then this is what the word says. So that you do not drift away. That's the danger. That's the danger that the author of Hebrews writes to the church about. That you can, you can come to understand something about Jesus, and then you can miss the point. And I would say to you that I believe that he's writing here, and you can say, well, yeah, the people who are lost in the world are drifting away. But he's writing to people who know Jesus, who've heard the gospel, Maybe even believe the gospel and then drift away. I love the imagery that that brings up. You know what I think of myself, actually? Have you ever done any kind of water activities, recreational water activities? Anybody? Any water skiing? Yeah, a few of you canoe trips. Anybody do canoe trips or, or float trips? Yeah, there you go. A few of you have, you know. Th that's one thing that comes to mind for me. It's as if... You know, if you've ever been on a float trip or you've ever tried to dock a boat and you've got some momentum coming in, you're rolling this way and you realize you've got to be over there and if you don't aim for the target, you're going to go right past, especially if you're in a flowing river where everything is competing, you understand. And, and if you, that's what the author says here. He says, look, if you don't pay careful attention, you're going to drift right past the point. And you say, well, what, what does that even mean? That's what last week was about as well. We get more excited about prophets than Jesus. We get more excited about angels than Jesus. That's a danger. Why? Because you've drifted right past the point. You've, you're downriver. You've missed it. Be careful. Examine closely. Look at what we're doing. You don't want to drift past Jesus. He is the point. He is um, the result of our faith, the, 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 the point of our faith. So be careful and look closely. Don't drift away. I don't know if you've ever actually had the experience of drifting away. A few of you said you've done water stuff before. Um, whenever I was a teenager, I had a really funny experience where I had done water skiing before. I had done float trips before. I had done some things like that. But I was on a lake, and my grandpa owned this house, like a va uh, not a vacation, but a retirement house that he bought, you know, and after farming his whole life, and he went live on a lake. And so he's living on the lake, and his neighbor had a windboard. Have you ever seen a windboard before? You know what that is? It's like a surfboard with a sail on it. Do you know what that is? A few of you? So it's laying out there in the yard. No one's using it. 
And I started going, well, hey, what's that? And the neighbor says, probably in a casual conversation, do you want to try it? And I was like, 14, 15, you know what I said? Yeah, of course I want to try it. Do you know how to use it? No. <laughs> it floats, right? So I throw the windboard out in the lake, and he's like, well, what could, what could happen? What could happen? It's a lake. I had a life vest on. You know, what's the worst could happen? And so I pushed this thing out there, and I crawled up on it, and they were laughing. They thought it was so funny. And I was trying to lift up the sail, and, you know, I mean, it's heavy. It's got water in it, and I'm, like, awkward, 14, 15-year-old and all that stuff. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, if I can get this sail up, I'm going to be, like, doing that jumping thing you see if you Google search it off of a wave that doesn't exist on the lake. That's what I was going for. And lo and behold, I got that thing up, and that thing caught, and, man, I started going, you know. I'm sure it was slow, but it felt fast. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm going, and I'm having a time of my life, man. I've got permission to use it. I'm out on the lake, and it's going great. And, you know, I'm just cruising. And I'm starting to get some speed up now, and it's kind of white capping, so I'm chopping across like, yeah. And now I'm out away from the docks and all the slow zone stuff, and there's boats around me. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, in a moment of brilliance, I go, I should look back. And you know what I realized? I was way away from my grandpa in the house. So I start going, how do I stop this thing? I have no idea how to stop this thing. It doesn't have a brake on it. Do you know that about windboards? They have no brakes. In another moment of teenage brilliance, I thought, I'm going to drop the sail. And I dropped the sail, which, guess what? Slowed my progress. Did not stop my progress. Slowed it. Now I'm standing in the middle of a lake on a windboard I do not know how to operate. So far from the shore, I can't even see my grand... They're like dots. They're like ants at this point. Boats are whipping around me, and I'm drifting away. It wasn't even that I was getting blown into the shore. I was being blown across the lake or down the... You know, I was just going. And I'm like, how do I stop? And I start trying to, like, paddle it. It's not happening. And I start to really get freaked out. Like, what am I going to do? What do you do when you're drifting away? I was completely um, helpless in that moment. And I remember feeling, you know, I had machismo, you know, so I'm like, I'm not scared, but I was scared, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, I'm, I'm, I might fall off this thing, nobody's going to run me over. I was really nervous, and I felt embarrassed. I'm like, how did I get out here? How do I get myself in these situations? Well, if any of you have a grandpa who loves you, and I have one, praise God, right? Um, it took him a while to get his boat off the dock and in the water and run over there was a little fishing boat, you know, coming across the lake. <laughs> Throw me a rope. <laughs> think you can hold on to it? Yeah, I think I can hold on to it, Grandpa. <laughs> the walk of shame back to the dock. In the, you know what I mean? It was awful. But that's what it's like. You, you need someone to save you, to rescue you from this. It's, just, it's just like that in church world. You can get excited about Jesus. You can get excited about the stuff that Jesus does. You can get excited about what Scripture says. You can do all these things, and then you can get yourself in a situation and, and just be drifting away from the point, which is Jesus. That's the whole, whole point. The author says, pay close attention. What? More careful attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. I want to say one more thing. We're going to move on to the second verse here, but this is interesting, right? Notice, I'm asking you today to pay attention. I ask you every, to pay attention. What does the text say? What is God saying here? 
I want you to notice something interesting. There's a small phrase, to what we have heard. Hmm, isn't that interesting? What does that say about the author of Hebrews when he says, pay attention to what we've heard? It means someone told him the gospel. Someone shared the gospel with him. That's interesting. Verse 2, check it out. Because if the message spoken by angels was binding, now here's where the, this is, if you don't understand the problem of drifting, this is the problem. And it's every violation and disobedience received is just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? And this is what's actually on your cards today. The salvation's expensive. Salvation is expensive. And the author of Hebrews says, if the message that was spoken before, remember he talked about prophets and angels, if that message was binding, and what the word says is that every uh, contrary step, take a minute here, that's what that means, every contrary step had a price. That means when people were listening to God and with God, they were they're supposed to be, and every step they took away had a price, a cost that was paid. That's what the author says, right? Or, because look at it there, it says, for the message spoken in disobedience, wait, for, the, for if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation, that's a stepping away, and every disobedience, this is interesting, because yeah, disobedience means every um, contrary hearing of what God said. Man, that blows me away. It's not just the walking away from God, but it's the mishearing. It's the hearing what you want to hear. It's the, it's the listening for your favorite verses and not the difficult verses. And I'm telling you, I'm in the boat with you, right? I, I feel the danger of that, of, of wanting to hear the things that I already agree with and not wanting to hear things that challenge what I believe to be true. But this says that every step that was taken away from God in disobedience or every mishearing hearing of the word why would i get excited about that i want to remind you that back in the garden of eden with the very first the fall of man we call it right adam and eve there was a mishearing of what god said it's a violation of of who he is and there's a price to be paid for that it was a mishearing if you read the text you can read it yourself that's what kicks all this off did he not say no, he said this other thing, which wasn't right either. Do you know what God says? Why should we pay close attention to these things? Because there's danger in drifting off and being far from shore and far from Jesus and far from the point of our faith. It received its just punishment, is what the word says. That means it received a right payment. I think it's funny they chose to use the word punishment here, because we go, yes, because it was bad, and that was the cost of badness. No. There's a price to be paid for sin, and that's the price of sin. You see? It's like you're at the register, you're checking out. There's a price to pay, and that's the issue. So it's about right payment. Now, the author sets all that up to say, if those things were true before, if those things were true before, look at what it says. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? How will you and I escape right punishment, right payment, if you and I ignore salvation that's so great? Great salvation. 
And that's the double-edged sword of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's where the rub is. I famously heard someone say recently, what about the innocent people in fill in the blank? The problem is there's no innocent people in fill in the blank. That's the problem. That's what the gospel says. You and I aren't innocent people. We're guilty people. We're sinful people. And I'm not trying to be like, oh, look at us and try to be falsely, you know, just look at humanity. It's broken. That's the truth. Look around anywhere, the news or whatever. It's broken. There, there's such evidence of sin and failure that only our own delusion and self-denial would allow us to say, oh, we're fine. <laughs> no, we're all in the same boat, so we think we're fine, but we're, we're all far from Christ and we're all drifting. And what do you do? Look closely. Remember what you have heard of Jesus. The word says, uh, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? It's interesting because what you realize, what I realized, is that the magnitude of salvation is directly proportional to the magnitude of danger. Do you know that that's true? The greatness of salvation, the word actually says full-grown salvation. And man, that sounds good if you're following Jesus. You're like, yeah, I want that full-grown salvation, you know. But the word is diametrically opposed to what it means to be lost. Full-grown sinfulness. Full-grown brokenness. You see what I'm saying? There's this model, and they're the exact opposite of one another. Salvation is... Um, exactly contrary. And, and that's interesting because that's what, he, if, that's what he's saying. If all those sins were punished before, how can we escape if we ignore this great salvation? What hope is there for us if we ignore the great salvation that is found in Jesus Christ? And that, that's uh, amazing. Um, I told you kind of a funny story, right, about being out on a lake and drifting away and having a life jacket on and all that. But have you been watching the news this week? There were some great rescues this week. Some crazy rescues in Texas and Oklahoma. Did you see those things? People without life jackets, people in cars, people being washed in the ditches, people holding on to poles and hoping someone comes. Real panic and real peril. Why, why do we call the people who show up heroes? That guy was a hero. Did you see him? He went over and he saved that kid from that burning house. Do you see they're heroes? Why? Because the danger is real. And when we look at the cross of Christ and we look at the gospel and we, we even say Jesus' name, we can go, oh, yeah, that's Jesus, and be dismissive. But listen, you can be dismissive of Jesus only if you don't understand the perils of hell, the perils of, of, of being forever away from God. And how can we flee from him if we ignore this salvation? Hebrews is like no joke. I told you last week, this letter is written to the Jewish believers. Be careful. But not for them alone, but for us. Be careful. Be so easy to drift away and be comfortable comfortable with Jesus and comfortable with Christianity. Man, I got this figured out. I can run this thing. I know how this thing works. 
and find yourself far from Jesus and in a dire situation needing him to rescue us? How will we escape? Um, I want to share with you because you might go, well, that's Hebrews, right? Huh? Is that? That's in Hebrews, so maybe that's what the author of Hebrews thought. But what about other places? Do you see the same kind of idea that, that there's peril or danger? Is it just Bill's word for it? The most oft-quoted Bible verse is John 3.16. You guys probably all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know that, right? My kid, my son, taught me John 3.17. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. But wait, that's John 3.17. Look at John 3.18. I want to share it with you. John 3.18, this is right after. Look in your Bibles if you don't believe it. Whoever believes in Jesus, that's us who believe, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in Jesus stands condemned already. Great peril. Whoever does not believe in Jesus stands condemned already. And why would I get excited? Because I think we live in a time and a culture where we act like, well, people will be fine. Just leave them alone. I believe in Jesus. You don't have to. But the Bible says that's not true. The Bible says that they are not believing in Jesus. They stand condemned already because he has not, he, us, has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Why is the gospel important? Why, why should we give our lives to sharing the gospel with others? Because people are dying without Jesus. Already condemned. This is not the only other place this is found. But I want you to see, this isn't just author of Hebrews saying, oh, I'm going I'm to make it, you know, uh, really hard or different. No, this is what the gospel of Jesus is about. He came to rescue those who were dead in sin. He came to save those who were lost and had no hope of finding God. The danger is we can think that doesn't include us. How will we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Uh, the word ignore here, as a word for our culture right now, it's an indifference toward it. You know, whatever. You know what I mean? Just Whatever doesn't really matter in real life. We can get on that boat, right? We can just float out there with everybody else. I'm not here to pick on you nothing. I'm here, church, to talk to you about what it means to be a follower and a believer of Jesus, a believer in Jesus. And that means that we have to believe the whole gospel and everything that scriptures say about him. Jesus said, the scriptures point to me, to my salvation. How will we escape the right payment for sin if we ignore such an awesome salvation from Jesus. How will we escape? Look at what the word says. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, that's Jesus himself, right? Proclaimed it first. We're in a few facts about the salvation that's known in Jesus. First, he said it of himself, right? He proclaimed it. Was confirmed by those who heard him. Here it is again. Are you paying attention to the text? It was confirmed by those who heard who? Jesus. That's what the author of Hebrews says. I want to stop and ask, so why do I keep talking about that? Many of us, and this is maybe you go like, whatever, 
you know? But many of us would say, who wrote the book of Hebrews? Paul. You think, I mean, right? Because uh, Paul wrote almost the entire New Testament, except for the Gospels, you know? A few of the letters. Paul wrote so much of it. We just blame Paul for everything. Look, at, look closely. Look at the word. If the message spoken by angels was binding in every violation of disobedience received the just punishment, how should we escape such a great salvation? Wait, back up. Verse 1. Pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. Who? Us. We. The author of Hebrews as well. And then look with me, if you will. In verse uh, 3. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed by those who heard him. And what that basically means is that whoever wrote the book of Hebrews heard the gospel from someone, gospel from someone else. I'm not claiming I know who wrote the gospel or the book of Hebrews. I'm saying that we shouldn't assume. We shouldn't assume. You know why? Because Paul said repeatedly, I saw Jesus. My gospel is the true gospel. I went to see Peter to prove to him that the gospel I preached is the right gospel that I received directly from the Lord, that no one taught me this gospel. And here you have the author saying, we heard this gospel. They made it sure. Interesting. They made it sure. Another um, connection here is this. In verse 2, the angels, the commands were given to the angels was binding. That means a solid ground. You can count on it every time that what God says is true. And here again, the salvation which was first announced by the Lord Jesus was confirmed or solid by those who heard him. They proved their faith. They experienced their faith. They lived their faith. And for many of us, the reason that we are drifting through life is because we aren't living our faith. We aren't experiencing our faith. We don't know its sureness. But the author here says, those who heard it confirmed it. That's what that word means. They stepped on it like dry ground. They walked on their faith. They knew their faith. It matters so much because if you wait until you're drowning to try to find your faith, it'll be a, it, it, you know, God's in it. So I'm down with God's sovereignty, but it's a terrifying thing. Walk your faith out now. God prepares us for what's ahead. Walk it out. Then, so first we have Jesus testifying. Secondly, we have the first who heard it living into their faith, confirming it. And then a few other things here. Three, God testified by signs. That's marks, right? He just changed people. He did things to confirm his gospel in his son, Jesus Christ. And then we know this, wonders, right? That is things that that left people slack-jawed, you know, things that didn't make sense, things they could not explain any longer. And, and they, the intent of the wonder is not to baffle the crowd. The intent is to cause them to be changed because of the experience, to back off of our self-indulgent you know, confidence and believe that God is doing something bigger than we can imagine or hope for or ask for. Great wonders to confirm his son and the gospel, and then various miracles, right? So we know the miracles of Jesus performed to what? Confirm the gospel, to verify the authenticity of Jesus. And then the last, the confirmation by the distribution of the Holy Spirit. 
And this is something in church where we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, like, or we don't. We spend a lot of time ignoring. But there's this dispensation or this uh, dispensing of the Holy Spirit. But the key I want you to see here, because I don't want to get sidetracked into this, I think that the Holy Spirit's activity is real. But what the word says here is that according to God's will. That's how that is. According to God's will, he gives those gifts. He does those things. But what's the point of it? The point of it all is to point to Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? And that, friends, reminds me of the same thing last week with angels and prophets. The danger is we can want the gift more than the giver. That, and that's a dangerous, drifting position to be in. No, he confirmed the gospel through his sovereign choice and his distribution or division of the Holy Spirit means parting it out, right? According to his will. Verse 5. It's not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come but about which, and about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, and he's going to turn and say why this matters to us. Look at it. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, you made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. That comes from the Psalms. And it's about us. It's about his creation, his people. Right? And you go, that sounds great. And, and you might do what I did and say, wait, wait, no, that's Jesus, right? What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with the glory and honor and put everything on his feet. You're like, well, that's about Jesus, right? Look at what the Bible says next. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that was not subject to him. Yet, at the present time, we do not see everything subject to him. We don't experience that reality. We don't experience the reality that everything is um, under our or God's control. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't live in that space. We live in a space where it is chaos, and it does feel like it's unhinged, and something is broken fundamentally. Isn't that amazing? I studied that and studied that, and it's like a both and. Putting everything under him. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's a tension that we have in the church. We have this tension that, um, well, yeah, everything's under God's control. Everything belongs to Jesus. Everything is going to be made right. And yet it's not. And we sense it. And the brokenness. And we can say, well, yeah, the world's broken. But then we can turn inside and we can go, yeah, but I'm broken. Like, I understand the sin of the world too well because it's inside of me still. What, what do we do? about that where's our hope in that you see if the author of hebrews had wanted to say he could have just said that and that's the way it is people <laughs> we can do anything we want we can live in jesus name anywhere we want everything look at he says yet at the present time we do not see everything subject to him what but we see jesus that's our hope. But we see Jesus. We know God's making a way. We know God's going to rescue his people. We know that song, Broken in Society. You know, we know that. 
But we know the rest of that story too. We see Jesus who is made, look at what the word says, a little lower than the angels. <laughs> now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Man, that's a radical bit of scripture right there. That God in his sovereignty made his son lower than the angels for a little while. That's what the word says. For, for a little while lower than the angels. But now he's crowned him with glory and honor because Jesus suffered death so that by the grace of God, Jesus could taste death for everyone. I just feel like it's a warning. We want to go, whatever. It's fine. I believe in Jesus. You don't. It's fine. And the warning is that no. How will we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Jesus himself gave his life up, the Son of God, the Son of Man, and experienced death for us. I don't, think we, I don't think we have the capacity to understand what that means. For us, death is normal, yeah. You know what, actually, I love is that what the word says is that by the grace of God, he might taste death. It means that he might eat it. That's what Jesus did. He ate death. I want to share with you, um, as we close, I want to share with you this scripture from Isaiah the prophet, right? This is the 25th verse of Isaiah, and this is what the word says. Um, On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, and the sheet that covers all the nations, and he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all the tears from all the faces and he will remove the disgrace of his people from the entire earth. Why? Because the Lord has spoken. That's why. And in the sacrifice and in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope that though we don't yet see everything under his feet or everything under our feet, that he has swallowed death for us. Huh? That's the right payment for sin. I'm just telling you as we um, continue in this study that uh, that's the point of all of it. I'm telling myself, that's the point of all of it. We get caught up in controversies and and silly things. The point of all of it is that Jesus has made a way for us. We ought to celebrate and live in that space. Never drift from it, no matter what. I don't know know if you experienced that. Maybe you don't. (laughs) Man, I do. I experienced that slow, steady current of the world that says, come on, just come down this way. I experienced currents in the church. Hey, 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 let's come over here and talk about this instead. Let's go over and do, and do these other things. And sometimes I feel it wash in the, you know what I mean? In the sea of faith. What's real? What's the point? 
And then the gospel says, the point is Jesus. The point is his salvation, his hope. I don't know if you feel yourself drifting, but if you do, I would encourage you a few things. I would encourage you to know why you believe what you believe. I mean, know it. <laughs> not, not because someone else said so, not because, but you know, I see it here in Scripture. By the way, I would encourage you, know what the Bible says. Know what the Bible says. One of my favorite theologians right now says, I will answer any question anyone has for me about God if they can show me where they're finding the question in Scripture. Because man's thinking and philosophies are flawed. That's what the Bible says. And so we have to start with some truth that God has expounded. Know what the Bible says. Do you know what the Bible says? I'm not being honest. I find stuff all, wow, look at that. It says that Jesus swallows death for us. And then make sure if you find yourself drifting, cry out to the shore, you know. I need, I need a savior. I need a rescuer. I need to be brought back home. I need to be reminded again. I'm getting far from you. Pray a prayer like that. I'm going to invite you to pray with me right now. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for the apostles and the saints, we call them, that went before us, who experienced their faith and lived it, lived it, breathed it, struggled through it, just like us. Father, we know that we have no righteousness of our own, and yet today we know that you're telling us there's a gospel for us that we can believe and live into and experience and know and know. Oh, Father, I, I pray confessionally, forgive us for the times that we've made it about things that are not about your Son, that we've claimed there's a gospel apart from Jesus or apart from his blood or apart from his resurrection or apart from your holy intervention in our desperate and broken situation. Would you forgive us for our sin? We do that. And for those who are here today, they may feel like they've been drift and they're just awash in the sea and the world and everything's clamoring for their attention and their worship. I pray you would throw a lifeline today and draw us back to you. Pull us back to the shore where our Savior stands on solid ground. I'm here. I love you. You're my people. I made promises. and I'm a man of my word. But we have that that kind of experience with you. May we never get so full of ourselves or full of all of our knowledge that we would drift away from the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, for uh, whatever you're doing in our lives, we give you thanks and praise, and we pray that whatever it is we do with you, that we be with you all the way. Help us to do it. Be kind and gracious as you always are, and yet be honest as we need to follow you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.